0: Welcome to Alchemy's podcast, Ideas That Matter, where we meet people making a difference in education. In today's episode, we talk about the future of chemistry labs with Jamie Karras, CEO
1: of Catalyst Education, to discuss his journey in science learning. I'm Julia Winter, and sitting across from me on this Zoom channel is Jamie Karras, who is the founder of two STEM-focused um, ed tech companies, Sapling and now Catalyst EDU. And Jamie, you've been a great supporter of Alchemy for years, way back when um, it's been really fun bouncing ideas off of you. I just like, I love backstories, so give me a little bit of a quick story of how you got to this point um your how you got to this where'd you start and did you always think you were going to be an entrepreneur so give me that tell me that
0: no i uh, i didn't uh, think i was going to be an entrepreneur i was uh, doing the typical track uh, getting my phd at the university of texas in biochemistry um But I wound up in the lab uh, doing uh, HIV immunotherapies. Um, But the principal investigator that I worked for was also a digital artist. And he had found out that I had done some programming and web development, especially around molecular visualization. So we started applying for grants. And um, we started building uh, in-house molecular visualization tools and really what we used to call biomolecular tours, which were, you know, where you could, in a 3D environment, dive into the active site of an enzyme and see how it bound its substrate and see the interactions between the amino acid side chains and and the substrate. And so we were using it to teach uh, biochemistry and we found uh, that it was, number one, very effective. Our students really loved seeing the uh, 3D stuff on a giant screen in the classroom. Um, I ended up going on to teach biochemistry at the University of Texas and used it in my lectures. And the students liked uh, my use of instructional media so much they nominated me to speak at National Science Week and, and, and other things. So we got a lot of uh, positive feedback from them. that. and. But one of the challenges we ran into was that um, we were building all these molecular visualization things, and I also started getting into animations and developing virtual labs, as a matter of fact, uh, using Flash. And um, some uh, publishers uh, heard what, about what we were doing, especially after we were featured on the Best of Biochemistry in the Web and Science Magazine. Can I uh,
1: give you what date? What year was that? Can I ask?
0: Uh, 98, maybe, or 99. I just want
1: to know when this is happening.
0: Yeah, and so they asked us to do some uh, instructional CDs to to go in the back of their biochemistry textbooks, and uh, I ended up doing a few of those just as a graduate student. I remember them uh, coming to us and saying, you know, well, is $60,000 budget enough for you? And, and I, I just assumed I would be doing it for free because I loved doing it so much. So I was astounded that someone was going to pay us to do that. Um, and so that's how it started. And we together formed a company called Science Technologies, which um, was the company that put a lot of the multimedia CDs in the back of, you know, about 30 uh, textbooks across all of STEM uh, in higher ed. Um, unfortunately, they were never used because they weren't hooked up to a grade. And so we had fantastic content. Uh, It was very cutting edge for its time. And we built the first uh, quizzing engine that used uh, molecular visualization. Um, And so I started getting into assessment that way. I was was asking students to go in and make atom or residue selections in uh, proteins or nucleic acids in response to questions. And so I started getting interested in assessment and mainly because it was something you could assign points for. And so then it would become a required portion of the class. And so that led to the founding of a company called uh, uh, Sapling Systems, which was going to provide a platform for assessment to publishers. We started licensing our technologies to Pearson, Wiley, McGraw-Hill, Cengage, um, WH Freeman, uh, all these different companies um, because we had Uh, molecular visualization engines and we had also figured out ways to grade uh, reaction mechanisms um, and the students drawing molecules. Um, And so those became the foundation of a lot of the online homework platforms at the time but um, we decided that we would go our own separate way and founded Sapling Learning which uh, then we started uh, producing a textbook independent online homework platform and about this time, I was teaching at the University of Texas, and I remember my students uh, performed horribly on their first midterm exam. And I asked them to raise their hand and be honest about it, whether they waited until within 48 hours of the exam to do any of the homework problems that I had suggested they work. And so that five weeks had gone by, and everyone had basically about 60% of the class raised their hand and said, basically, They tried to do five weeks of homework, you know, the night or two before the exam. And so that's when I really focused on developing an online homework platform, and that's what Sapling Learning became, was solving that problem of getting students to engage on a regular basis uh, with their their rigorous problem solving that's absolutely required. Um, And if there's one thing that's been proven out, it's that time on task solving problems is directly correlated to Uh, exam performance and final grade performance. So I solved that problem, but I was also teaching the labs at UT, and I always thought that that there was a tremendous um, role that technology can play to make those uh, classes um, easier to deliver at scale um, at large institutions like the University of Texas, but also would engage students in a more meaningful way. And I'm no different than all of my students. I would not read anything. I would walk into the lab and just follow it like a cookbook recipe. I had no idea why I was doing a step in a particular order or anything. My goal is to just get through it and figure it out later when I wrote up my lab report. And so so that was also a problem. And so that's how Catalyst Education came into um, being, is that I felt like I had solved the online homework uh, Uh, problem with Sapling and sold that company to Macmillan. And Catalyst is to solve that student engagement, student prep uh, preparedness for success in lab and actually gaining a lot more out of the experience because they understand what's going on in the lab and why they're doing steps in a certain order or what their goals are. Um, But also helping lab coordinators deliver these classes at scale. And so one of the things that we've really focused on is How um, the role of TAs or lab uh, teaching faculty um, at institutions, um, some of the challenges associated with managing them with achieving grade consistency across a broad broad spectrum of sections, um, and that you're dealing with TAs who this is the first time they've ever taught often. And so, uh, you know, how can you improve their performance? and give yourself some learning analytics to know which ones you need to spend some time coaching.
1: So it's not just...
0: That's kind of where we are today.
1: Wow. So it's not just for, you know, getting lab reports in and things like that. It's actually helping the TAs to administer the labs more effectively and better.
0: Absolutely. So a lot of uh, people will use our platform to train their TAs. Um, One thing that people don't think about is that there's actually two students in a lab course. There's regular undergraduate students, and then there's graduate students. And graduate students, you know, there's a tremendous opportunity for graduate students to learn to become good educators. And the only time uh, typically um, that students will be given any kind of information on how to be an effective instructor is for if they take a, a TA position um, in the lab courses. And then, then they're forced to actually often give pre-lab lectures. They certainly have to, you know, uh, grade uh, student work and engage with students as if they're the instructor of record. And so it's a tremendous training exercise for the people that are going to go on and actually be faculty instructors or associate professors or, uh, running their own courses, whether it's lecture or lab. And well, so science it's, it's
1: is a lot about, to oh, sorry them. to interrupt, but science is a lot about communication and, and I think that's a huge lesson for TAs. Have you gotten feedback from some of those TAs that have used Catalyst in lab flow?
0: Yeah, so some TAs, uh, especially ones maybe that uh, English isn't their primary language and um, so they struggle, um, and maybe you lack a little bit of confidence interacting with students because they struggle with English. Um, they've mentioned that a lot of the videos and the instructional things are something they can kind of point to and use as they're trying to explain things to students. Um, they also feel like their students are much better prepared walking in so they spend less time walking around the lab asking questions that the students should already know the answers to and instead focusing more on the problem-solving aspects of when a experiment's going wrong or they're seeing something strange that's unexpected, you know, the first thing you need to be able to do for that is actually know that it is unexpected. And so you have to know what's expected, um, in order to do that and then do your own problem solving. And so, and some of the TAs have said that, um, some of the features in our product actually have, have forced them to kind of up their game and, and focus a little bit more on being better uh, educators and teachers and better graders and other things because there's a little bit more accountability built into the system for them. How about
1: students? Really what have students said?
0: Um, I just recently interviewed a student at Texas Women's University and uh, she was a great student. She had failed the first time. Oh, so no. This the second time she's repeating the course. So a great uh, u- uh, test case. Um, but the only change they had implemented for the course was the adoption of, uh, of lab flow. and she said that what she liked most about it is that she could do a lot of preparatory work. Um, in advance, you know, watching videos of each technique or watching videos um, on how to use specific equipment and she felt like uh, her anxiety for lab classes was really high prior to using the software. But now she went in feeling a lot more confident that that she knew how to um, do these things properly or at least been exposed to them before walking in. Uh, She also said that it was tremendously helpful because her lab partner the previous semester was just as unprepared as she was. And now not only does she feel like she's more prepared, but she also feels like she has um, someone she can count on Uh, To be have their ability level increased before walking into the class.
1: Now, I just did a recent deep dive into badging for Lab skills. So a lot of students are assessed in laboratory Either through a report or maybe some questions on exam. Is there anything in lab flow that can help students assess whether they're using the techniques right um, during lab because a lot of times students just want to get done get out and get the data and not worry about what they're doing. Of course, that leads to breakage and other things. Is there anything in lab flow that can can look at lab um, technique.
0: Well, so uh, for pre lab activities, not only do they watch videos and, and obviously read their lab protocols and any uh, background information. But one of the things we do is we do a lot of pre-lab homework assignments that are due before the student walks in. So you can hold students accountable to knowing at least fundamental concepts, knowing how to do calculations that are important that they're gonna have to do to make a stock solution, for example, or go from, you know, experimental data to reported results. Um, And so you can ascertain whether they're prepared walking in and whether like they understand why a step is done in a certain way or a certain order. And you can also uh, give them questions where it will flag some misconceptions that often lead to failed experiments. And so that helps a lot. And then the second thing is um, we do have students upload their lab reports and and also can enter their uh, experimental data as they're collecting it or after the lab. And what our platform will do is it'll look for Uh, The data that they're collecting and is it reasonable for that piece of equipment and are they reporting the correct number of digits? So if they're using an analytical scale, we would expect one more digit than if they're using just a top loading scale. Or if they're using a spectrophotometer, we know that we're expecting three decimal places and that the range of realistic um, values, you know, uh, so so someone shouldn't important absorbance of over four, for example, because there's no way that a piece of equipment's sensitive. And so it'll stop them if they're not collecting uh, the proper number of digits for whatever uh, measurement they're taking and whether that's a reasonable measurement. And so it'll coach and guide them as they're collecting data.
1: So are you working with any um, chem ed researchers or researchers to... um to validate that this works. Is there any ongoing research in Texas or wherever um, with your your system?
0: Um, not yet, but we just got started. Uh, so- and I know, um, but
1: I'm, I'm hoping somebody jumps on it because you know me. Well, there's there's a
0: lot of people that do look and do a lot of ed tech uh, research. Uh, Sorry, a, a lot of chem ed research in the area of labs. It's, it's actually yeah. a favorite yeah. um, uh, publication spot for a lot of people. Um, You know, I'm lucky that I work with, you know, my, my coworker, the director of product, Brian Arneson is a PhD chemical educator. So he's uh, very experienced doing his own chem ed research. Um, And so we will partner with uh, universities as they're looking to roll this out. And we're doing a lot of trials right now where people are doing Kind of more subjective, you know, student uh, attitude surveys. Um, And those are valuable pieces of chem ed research because We want students to be engaged and have good attitudes about their learning experience so that they continue on to be STEM majors. Um, I think, I think it's about 40% of STEM majors drop their STEM major um, Because it's rigorous and there's a lot of problem solving and it's a, it's a hard major, you know, the average letter grade of of a STEM class is half a letter grade lower than, you know, your average college class. And so students get a GPA penalty for being a STEM major and they have to do very rigorous problem solving. And so if you can make the lab experience super fun and engaging, then that will hold their attention through those long hours of rigorous problem solving work that's also necessary for their success.
1: Well, I hope maybe through this, this podcast this this interview, maybe some of our um our chem ed researchers will say, hey, let me try this out and and because that's actually what's happened with alchemy. We have a lot of people who like it and then find out ways to use the platform to actually further their research, which is you know, partnering with those people who are, you know, working between the practice and the research of chemistry and science is really probably one of the thrilling pieces of our work in alchemy. Now, yeah. I have- I think that's seen. a
0: great thing about the industry that we're in, is you really don't even have to ask, because we are servicing people who do research for a living. And so, of course, they're going to want to do educational research. And, you know, whether it's a, a small research project, they're just- doing internally that they never publish, you know, just to see whether you're effective and and a value, a valuable thing to have their students spend time on. But then you also have a lot of Chem-Ed people out there who might not have started out as Chem-Ed researchers, but uh, are very interested in their classes. And so they can't help themselves. And so I remember at Sapling Learning, uh, every ACS uh, conference was, was amazing to me because I would I would find you know, at least one or two uh, sessions that were being given on the efficacy of online homework platforms. And they were using sapling, and I didn't even know they were doing the research or publishing the results. And so I would find out as a surprise. And it also maintains a lot of integrity when these things are surprises. Right. Uh, people are going to do the re- research in general anyway. I didn't have to sponsor them. I didn't have to do anything. They just organically came out of the customers that we served.
1: You know, and here's a, this is a big question because there's like just last week, uh, Labster, which is a VR and VR focused lab simulation company based in Denmark, just got $20 million from, from VCs. So the question is and remains what what's the future of lab work is 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 what we do in lab going to stay valuable is yeah you can't be a soothsayer but what do you see in in the potential with augmented reality and virtual reality and the problems associated with lab um so just give me give me two cents on on what you think
0: Well, I think that uh, there are a lot of tombstones in the ed tech space for people who have leaned a little bit far uh, in front of their skis.
1: Uh Um,
0: But there are also, um, there is, you know, a shift in the education space. And and a lot of it will be driven by research. And there has been research that has shown that uh, virtual labs are, as effective, if not, maybe a little bit more effective than uh, wet labs. Wow. Um, but that's measuring only certain performance and and um, I think only time will tell as to whether that that bears out. One of the challenges of, of virtual labs is that
1: You know, the ACS
0: won't want to credit your degree if you only provide your college students with a virtual lab experience and not wet lab experience. And so that that is fundamentally gonna hold back um, virtual reality as as something that that plays a large part in uh, STEM degree seeking uh, students as they go through general chemistry and organic chemistry and analytical or even biology or other things, is that accreditation is going to be uh, something that uh, we'll need to Uh, work out, and and sometimes those accrediting agencies move very slowly and need a lot of evidence before they'll shift their position on something. Um, I personally think, you know, one of the reasons I got into science was seeing, you know, the magic of something happen or change in front of me, and whether or not the virtual reality experience is as awe-inspiring as as seeing it happen in front of you and having to collect it on a piece of filter paper or whatever and seeing a pile of product that you actually made you know um that you can touch and and everything there there is something for to be said for that and i think that um you know at at catalyst we're going to take an evolutionary approach um, and an incremental approach to the market Um, i think there's immediately a place for virtual labs as uh, lab makeups for students who have to miss a lab because they're on the volleyball team. Um, I think there uh, is a place for virtual labs as some universities are just plain running out of lab space, you know, more and more universities are being asked to take more and more students and the, the chemistry departments are looking back at at these new enrollment numbers that are being projected and saying, we don't have the lab space. And so you got to either build us a building or we're gonna to have to do something. And so some universities have switched to about half dry labs and half wet labs. And those dry, and what they consider dry labs is is different all over the board. Some of them are just a three hours worth of, you know, work and data analysis, you know. Uh, and others are looking for virtual labs uh, as as, as something that could substitute for wet labs, but they're still looking to provide that wet lab experience. And then of course, there are terminal courses like introductory or preparatory chemistry or maybe chemistry in society, where those could be a good uh, place for virtual labs to find themselves in because they're not accredited courses. These are just GE requirements that people are taking. Um, and and so th- that kind of stuff, um, there, there will find a, a spot for virtual labs. And by, by freeing up those terminal courses and that lab space that used to be taken by those, then they'll have more room for the STEM degree seeking labs to expand. Okay. And so those are, there's a lot of different um, facets to that question, whether it's you know faculty attitudes, student attitudes, accreditation, Cost,
1: uh, I so, look at anything that...
0: Yeah, and then cost and, and all of that. And, you know, the waste disposal costs are yeah. just incredible for labs. And right. there's none of that.
1: And liability costs. And uh, so you, there's lots of different pieces of yeah. that question. Um, now, I, this, I'm this. i going to wrap this up because this has been really great. But um, it's always neat to hear what what, what is... What makes you most proud of your work in the ed tech space? Like, if you could put one thing down, or what's the most thrilling? What what big takeaway do you have from this great career in helping students learn science?
0: Well, you know, when I started uh, in college in my scientific uh, career, um, I started as an environmental studies major at UCSB. And environmental studies was a very broad major where you had to take a lot of environmental science classes and science classes that you would take as a chemist or a biologist, but we also had to take environmental policy and environmental law and and other types of uh, courses. And uh, I sat down with my guidance counselor, who's actually a pretty famous textbook author, Paula Bruce, and she said, you know, You can get any job in science with a chemistry degree um, that's an environmental job right but you can't necessarily get you know a lot of a lot of other jobs with an environmental science uh, environmental studies degree and she said why do you why are you in environmental studies and i said well i think i think you know climate change and and many other uh environmental factors are are great challenges for our society and I want to be there to solve them. And she said, well, how do you think those problems are going to get solved? Do you think it's going to be solved through policy or anything else? And I told her, no, I said the rate of technological change and, and innovation and consumption of resources and population growth and all that was just too much and would overwhelm any human system like societal change or policy change over time and so i thought that all our answers would be solved through science and so that's what kind of um got me thinking about you know helping at at a scale because i felt that the problems that are facing our society are going to be solved by scientists. And so we need as many of them as possible and as many good ones as possible.
1: And with diverse backgrounds too. Right. So open doors to people who wouldn't normally get there. That's one of my my big pitches because behind those right. doors might be the answers to some of our problems.
0: That's right. And you can get far more scientists if you're inclusive, especially with women, where um, that's a, you know, over half the population, you know, if you can entice them to do those uh, degrees, um, that helps with your numbers problem, right? So, so I became focused on trying to improve to lower student frustration so that people would persist in a STEM degree. And, and a lot of the courses that we serve at the introductory uh, levels like general chemistry, uh, the, the keynote speaker at the BCCE the first year I went, called General Chemistry, the uh, year-long death march to a liberal arts degree. Oh no. (laughs) And so I think it's important that um, as students are doing this rigorous problem-solving work that they have all the help that they can get. And, And as students are in labs that they have, they get to experience the wonder of science without a lot of the frustration and trying to lower that frustration and inspire them Uh, to move forward in their STEM degrees is something that uh, is very important to me. And so Sapling, there was about four university studies that were done. And no matter what study you looked at, it was from 0.8 to 1.3 letter grade uh, improvement in uh, general chemistry courses. And so I feel like that was a significant contribution, especially given that we were serving, you know, about half a million students. And so, at that scale, you know, if you're taking, on average, improving half a million students a year, a whole letter grade, that's definitely has an impact. And so, I feel that, you know, that's where I get a lot of my juice to keep going.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. That's a great way to end it, Ken. It's just great to talk to you. As I said, we've worked together. You've supported our young company and with your wise um, feedback as we grow. So um, thanks so much for your time. And we look forward to crossing paths as we, we bring new products to market for science and especially chemistry education. Thanks a lot, Jamie. All right, thanks, Julia. Thank
0: you for listening to Ideas That Matter. Join us for Episode 2, A Growth Mindset for ChemEd Research, where we talk to Ginger Schultz, a professor at the University of Michigan, about her insights on moving from bench chemistry to educational research. Be sure to follow us at Learn Alchemy on Instagram and Twitter.